Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. Thank you. Y'all staying for goodies later? I'm mad at you. You're not staying. I'm mad at you. No, I'm kidding. Uh, well, this morning's title, as you may have noticed, is My Confession. So it's time, time for me to finally come clean. I know some of you are wondering, what is he going to come clean about? The, um, the uh, finance committee's wondering where all that money went. The, people have been wondering what I've been doing late at night at the office. Anyway. That's not the confession I'm going to give you today. Besides, I have nothing to confess. Except for those of you who didn't hear my wife say amen, we're greatly relieved. I have things to confess all the time in that regard. But I'm using the word as has been used down through the ages for the confessions of our hope. The things that we believe. And you just made a confession if you read it out loud. Did you read it out loud? Okay, the Apostles' Creed. You're making a confession. The word that is used is uh, often uh, a Greek word, homologos, which means to make a statement or affirm something, to be in agreement. You know, when we say amen, that's what that means. You know, so be it. And a confession or a profession is to speak in agreement To make a statement of allegiance, sometimes it refers to witness-bearing. You're witnessing to this. You're saying, this is what I believe. So that's my confession today. I thought I would lead you on with a really, you know, scary story about me or something. You don't care. Anyway, so we're in the book of Titus, and I want to use this particular text uh, by way of starting I'm going to put it on the screen. You can turn there if you want, 1193 in the Pew Bible. It's not a Pew, the Chair Bible. And uh, 1193 is Titus chapter 1. And this was the, uh, the text that I never did park much on about the qualifications for elders. He must holy, yeah, that was easy to say. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. So let me repeat that. He must hold firmly. That's confessing. That's professing. Holding firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught. The trustworthy, the the Greek word is the faithful logos, the word that has been communicated. Hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others. As he has been taught, as it has been passed down. Um, One of the versions puts it that way. The uh, New Jerusalem Bible, the unchanging message. The unchanging message that has been passed down from generation to generation to generation. There's an essential to it. So this morning, I hope um, everybody had enough coffee already. Go get some coffee, because I need you to be awake. Go potty, too, if you need to. But anyway, this is the time. I, sh- I should say, you know, the church Sunday morning ritual should be, turn your cell phones off, go potty now, da-da-da-da, you know what I mean. 
But anyway, it's like we teach karate on Wednesday night. We're no sooner we're on the floor and the kids are like, can I go? To ah! Go ahead. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught. As it has been taught. Let's, uh, let's ponder this a little bit. I'm going to ask you to join me in prayer. <clears throat> Lord, we just recited the Apostles' Creed. We just sang a song of worship, acknowledging that there's a vast army of your followers. We're going to join them one day. They have fought their fight. Now they're enjoying eternity in a far better place. We have to yet finish our fight. We have to yet finish our race. And then we'll be part of that happy reunion. And Lord, uh, those things remind us of those like our master Jesus who, who finished his course, who made the good confession, as one of the writers of the New Testament puts it. And we as his followers, down through 2,000 years, imperfectly stumbling, sometimes falling away and coming back, whatever the shape of it, people have returned to your faith, to your confession, your profession of what is actually true. What is reality? What have you made that is behind our veiled eyes? We can't see it, but it is true. And so, Lord, today we pray that we might have some understanding about that. I'm particularly asking for help because as uh, dialoguing with uh, brethren today, as carefully as we might try to communicate the word, we, are, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. And sometimes they're cracked and they leak. That includes me. And even at my best... Your truth does not always get across clearly to convey your profound love for people who are lost. For we who are your children, who are the delight of your eyes, even though we're broken in so many ways. Lord, we ask in Jesus' name that your love might secure us. And uh, I'm just asking for help. I need help, Holy Spirit. Help us today. In the great name of Jesus, we pray, and all of God's people said, amen. I was talking with um, Mike. You know, Mike actually wrestles with, and our worship team wrestles with, trying to help you enter into worship. We do. And one of the comments we were talking about a week ago is how there is an attraction in worship back to what we call confessing churches. Do you understand what I mean by that? More conservative, very ritual-oriented. There's an attraction to that because it, is, it has um, longevity. It has stability. There's something that whenever I come back to that, it's the same. Now, we think that's boring in America, right? That's boring, the same old thing. But there's something about that continuity and stability that attracts people. And so there was a large movement among evangelicals back into orthodoxy, orthodox churches, which some of us might think are kind of dry. And yet they brought a lively faith experience to bear in those contexts. 
because of the stability. Whereas everyone else is kind of changing it up and wondering what they believe anymore, they could always come back to that confession, I believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth, etc. So there is an attraction to that, and uh, I find it attractive, and I find it... um, helps me set my compass over and over again. When I start to lose my way, we set our compass by it, by the true essentials of the gospel. Now, those of you who've joined the church, and we have some others waiting in the wings. Sorry about the delay. We'll get to that. We need to have a welcome here. Uh, We're going to have welcome time today with food. I mean, it doesn't get any better. We're Baptist, baby. You just need to know that. We, we We eat. That's what we do. But uh, we need to have a new induction of new members, and we'll get around to that. But when you join the church, you're given uh, a copy of our Constitution and bylaws, and in there is a doctrinal statement. Anybody ever read it? Oh, my, we're in trouble. Okay, so next week we're going to have new members class for everybody. There's about, I think there were 11 bullets but what are the essentials? So I'm going, to, I'm going to try to do a little um, logic lesson with us here today. I had to learn about uh, logic in college and did uh, Venn diagrams. Anybody ever done Venn diagram? Remember Venn diagrams? You get those? All right, so there's an overlap of certain things. So we're going to have a little fun with this, all right? So what I want to get at is this, this section where it overlaps are the essentials. Okay, what is essential? Uh, What is orthodox? What is the basics of Christianity? Because for 1,000, 2,000 years, basic doctrine has been argued over, fought over, etc. And the church has faithfully tried to pull all of its followers back to that basic fundamental. And we'll review that in just a minute. But here's what I want to say, is that there's this overlap, depending on what your background is, there's this central area where everyone agrees. One of the things we have trouble with when we're trying to witness to people is... Oh, you, you Christians, you fight about everything. Look at all the different church, right? I mean, look at all the division. What we're missing completely is look at all the unity. We miss the big picture because of the small stuff. Okay? And sometimes we make small stuff big stuff, which is one of my hobby horses. Major on the majors and minor on the minors, please. Keep it that way, and we'll, we'll quote Mendenius again in a minute. But... Think about it this way. So these are all professing Christians of some sort. And in the middle is your basics, where we all are aligned, where there is, in fact, unity. So, all right, so we have a left side and a right, so we're going to talk left and right. Left and right. So left. So over here, let's see. We have churches that are really hardcore, charismatic snake handlers, jump over the pew, roll on the floor. Okay? Then over here you have those kind of churches. Very staid, very proper. All right? Boy, they they can't possibly be the same thing, can they? Well, yes, in the middle there's a crossover. So over on the right... By the way, depending on who you are, you may think you're on the right, even if you're on the left. I'm not here. Um, Over here, Mennonites, 
um, Amish can't possibly imagine why anyone who's a Christian would affirm the death penalty or allow war or participate in any way like that. Over here on the left, most conservatives who support our military are in the military, whatever. They're, they're on opposite ends. You would think they're totally enemies. And yet, there is a complete crossover right here in the middle. Is there not? Yes, there is. And of course, if you're... Oh, go back to my snake handling friends. They think they're on the right side and us dead people are on the left side. You understand that? When I was at uh, Union Center up north, you know, we were, we, we were not charismatic, but to the fundamentalists, we were charismatic. And to the liberals, we were raving fundamentalists. And it's like, Jesus sure gets a bad rap all the time, doesn't he? Right where he is. So those would be a couple of examples. Here are major portions of Christianity. Well, let's put them on the right. Major portions of Christianity that are churches, for example, of color, who many of them are Democrats. And good brethren in Christ. And on the other side, many churches with Republican leanings. And so are they who those are not the majors, friends. This is the major right here in the center. And what are those things? What are the things that we can stand on? In other words, why I'm saying this is that there is a basic that we agree on, and that's why churches across the board can cooperate in the preaching of the gospel, in helping people come to faith, in doing good deeds, in having a social effect, whatever it might happen to be. It doesn't have to be warfare, because we park on the wrong things so many times. Let me give you an example. What's a fundamental? The gospel of grace. It's in the book of Titus. Let me show you this next verse. He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. This is the fundamental gospel, isn't it? He saved you not because you have to earn it, not because you have the right church background, whether you're right or left, not because of your politics, right or left, not because of even all the details of your theology. He saved you on the basis of his mercy because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. If we were to melt it down, uh, distill it down, what would be the basic confession of all Christians? Apostles' Creed is pretty good. Uh, the National Association of Evangelicals, that's all people who kind of think like we do that you need Jesus in your life, that kind of an idea. Those churches wrestled with this, and they distilled it down to just seven basic points, okay? So if you're a, if you're a note taker, by the way, uh, your bulletin's going to be very important this morning because, one, you want to take notes, but number two, you're going to take a test. You see this? In the Southwest, where I used to pastor, we used to give quizitos to people. Yeah. On the East Coast, it's a quiz, but out where I lived, it was a quizito. Okay. Uh-oh. I should have had ushers ready to hand out bulletins, right? Some of you can't. Surely. Okay. <laughs> she means business. So there she goes and gets it. So your first place, you have a, a note, note section. Let me get to the right page. Here we go. Ready? The affirmation of truth. What would be included in that? The NAE Statement of Faith, adopted by the National Association of Evangelicals. This is just basics. The reason I'm sharing this is this is the essentials. Okay? These are the essentials. 
If as a local church we are committed to baptism by immersion, that's a Baptist distinctive. That's not an essential, though. Are you following me? Oh, you're meddling now. Pastor Hawko's tenure is coming to an end. What's that? Never mind. The essentials. Some of them stated clearly in our Constitution. Here it is. Let's read it together. Oh, you don't have to read it. I'll read it to you. We believe the Bible to be the inspired, the only infallible, authoritative word of God. Can I just say that's one of our problems today? That's why they stood. Why did they stand on these seven minimal basics? Because, cast that one aside, who is Jesus? I've had people, you know, I'm not sure that that's all true, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And yet, you're believe, but I believe in Jesus. What Jesus? Who is Jesus? How do you know you got the right Jesus? How do you know you haven't done what we all tend to do left to ourselves? We remake God in our own image. We make the Jesus we like. What, do you, what was the one? Buddy G. What was that? That's the one. We make it. Remake it. Second one. We believe that there is one God eternally existent in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. You see... Orthodoxy always has, through 2,000 years, pulled the wanderers back towards center. And evangelicalism and orthodoxy for 2,000 years has affirmed that truth. As mysterious and hard to process, that's part of the fun of it, actually. I'll get to that in a minute. We believe there's one God eternally existent in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. We believe in the deity of our Lord Jesus Christ, his virgin birth, his sinless life, his miracles, his vicarious and atoning death through his shed blood, in his bodily resurrection, his ascension, the right hand of the Father, and his personal return in power and glory. (sighs) How come that one was so long? They got the other ones nice and concise, right? This one's long. Here's the simple way to fill it in. Did you see my notes there? Number one, the essentials, the Bible. Number two, the triune God. Number three, the work of Christ. It's the work of Christ, both in his incarnation, in his redemptive work in dying for our sins, and the fact that he's going to come back. Anybody believe he's coming back? (sighs) Sometimes when I look at uh, my retirement amount, I think, be nice today. Scotty on uh, Star Trek, you know, <laughs> check off. Scotty, now would be a good time. Anyway, sir. Um, when it comes to like, Jesus being resurrected and all that stuff, why did he go to hell? That doesn't make sense. He suffered hell. Is what ha- he experienced what we deserved. Okay. So, in an e- eternal second, if you will, he experienced all that we deserved. That was. And that's part of, by the way, that's part of the calling us back to center. I'll explain a little more on that in just a second. But he had to endure what we deserved or there'd be no redemption for us. He had to. Okay. Uh, The next one. We believe that for the salvation of lost and sinful people, regeneration by the Holy Spirit is absolutely essential. Oh, I got one amen. 
We believe in the present ministry of the Holy Spirit by whose indwelling the Christian is enabled to live a godly life. Eli's question last week, right? What's happening? Is there a... And and so my answer is on my sheet here. The work of Christ, number four, is the new birth, which Jesus talked about, right? If you're a follower of Jesus and you're reading about him, what he said is, you need to be born again. Yes, no? Yes, he did. And then the Holy Spirit's work, still actively working in our world and changing the Christian into the image of Christ progressively, sometimes slowly, sometimes rapidly, but still at work. We believe in the present ministry of the Holy Spirit. Next one. We believe in the resurrection of both the saved and the lost. They that are saved to the resurrection of life. They that are lost unto the resurrection of damnation. Not popular, just true. Jesus talked a lot about that. And the last one, we believe in the spiritual unity of believers in our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the true church, visible and invisible. Those who have died and gone for all the saints who from their labors rest, they're part of the true church. For those who are around the globe who fit inside that circle, right? Some of them are outside a little bit, but they're in there. They are children of God, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Whatever shape, form, whatever denomination, it doesn't matter. They belong to him by faith. Does that make sense? Okay, so the Bible, the triune God, the work of Christ, the new birth, the Holy Spirit's work, judgment, that's part of it, and the true church. Left to ourselves, as I said, we will remake God in our own image. Some of the articles that I had been talking about, which... uh, I need to make something clear. The people who are off track are not the enemy. Some of us think our people out there are the enemy. They are captives of the enemy. Sometimes you're a captive of the enemy and you don't even know it. Do you follow what I mean? So they need grace and they need the work of the Spirit to help them see what's broken and what's wrong. Some of those articles... People made very clear, especially the editorials, very clear, you know, these people claim to be Christians. They should know this, 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 and this. And they're making statements that are all wrong or half wrong, not based on truth. And so in our attempts sometimes as the Church of Jesus down through the generations to make the gospel as appealing as possible, which is kind of hard to do because we have to face the fact that we're sinners and we need a Savior, And that just kind of gets sticky sometimes. But in order to do that, we try to accommodate it. I'll I'll think of an example. I have have, uh, one of our hymn books up here years ago because in some circles, the concept of blood and Christ's crucifixion because of our sin and judgment was so offensive that they modified the hymn books, took all the words about the cross and blood and whatever out of the hymns. And it's like, um, isn't that kind of throwing the baby out with the bathwater? And so what happens is, in our attempt to be made relevant, to avoid the what we considered gore or whatever, to be relevant, we actually became irrelevant. Had no impact, no cutting edge, nothing to it. One of the problems is if we try to remake God in our image, we lose what we desperately need. And one of the things we desperately need is somebody who's other than us, bigger than us. 
more important than us. The idea of mystery, the idea of the numinous, if you know that word from C.S. Lewis, you know, the completely other, that's kind of scary. The ultimate reality. I started the uh, Bible over again. I'm reading my old uh, Rebound King James, uh, Corey. And uh, don't, don't nod too much there. I, just, I, I did, though. I'm reading it, started over. I came to that point where Moses is commissioned to take the children of Israel out of bondage. He's on his way back to Egypt, and he's in an inn one night with his wife and his child, and God shows up and is going to kill him. Did anybody ever read that? Explain that to me. I don't know how you can be a Christian and not know the answer to that question. No, we don't know totally. It's it's freaky, isn't it? It's freaky. Now, I think there is an explanation, but he was supposed to carry on the covenant sign, which was circumcision, and they had gotten lost in their bondage, their years of bondage. They had gotten lost. So anyway, what about that? God is completely other, not remade in my image to make me happy. I think God's okay with this. I think God's okay with it. On what basis is he okay with that? Do you have anything outside of your feelings? And if it's just your feelings that you're deciding because of that, then what makes your feelings more important than your feelings or his feelings or her feelings? Don't we get into a logical boondoggle at that point? Absolutely, if we think it through. Right doctrine the essentials, the confession of our faith keeps God in his place and keeps us in our place. It helps set our dial thinking right. I need to see God on a regular... That's why worship was instituted. You know that? I need to see him. I need to worship with the saints on a Sunday morning. I am so hungry for God to minister to me, to speak to me who he is. What? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, you're in charge, and you're sovereign, and you're good, and you've got this, and I'm worrying about the checkbook, and you've got it. (sighs) Right? I need to see him. That's why he instituted it. There's an affirmation of faith first. There's also an affirmation of ethics. There's biblical truth and biblical. Biblical ethics. Can I just make a nasty statement? It's not really nasty. It's a package deal. It's a package deal. If I really confess and I really believe, then I'm buying into the ethics that Jesus wants me to live by. They go together. They go together. Let's look at this old verse. I I shared this before out of uh, Titus earlier on. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. For the grace of God has appeared. Amen bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness, worldly desires, and live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. In other words, you got to do something about it. I used to do this. I'm going to stop doing that. I'm going to do this now. God says what I was doing as a habit is wrong. I'm going to change it. God is telling me that my broken relationship with my parents and my hatred toward them is sin. And I really need to deal with that and forgive and get a right relationship with authority and get all that other stuff fixed. He's got an opinion about that. 
whatever it might happen to be. Live godly in the present age. And here's a little doctrine thrown in. Looking for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. There's part of the Apostle Creed. We believe he's coming again. Amen? And we do. <clears throat> There's right and wrong based on reality. I love to say that. It's based on reality. Where do we get our, our thinking about ethics? Anybody want to guess? We can all go home now. What? I can't hear you. Parents. Yes. Well, yeah, we do. We get, we get stuff from our... You're right. The ten, go back to the ten words, right? Exodus, the 20th chapter, if you want to look. Here's your quiz time. Take out your papers class. By the way, anyone doesn't pass this can't leave today. I'm locking the doors. You have to stay. And here's what I want to do. I want to go down this quizito starting with number 10 and working back to number 1. Does anybody remember why I look at it that way? What's that? You're right. Yeah, they build on each other, right? It goes from the most important to what we would consider the least, and yet they all build on each other. They go from the worst socially impacting sins to the least, but if I can control the first one, if I can get a handle on the first, which is the last one, I can control everything working back up the ladder. So, okay, if you haven't found in in our in your Bible in in the the chair in front of you, it's page seventy-eight, Exodus twenty, starting at verse seventeen, which is going backwards, right? So, what's the last command? Got it right. Thou shalt not come. I'm letting you cheat. This is an open book test. Nobody should fail. Here's, here's what I got from when you this. You remember that? Good for you. Thou shalt not covet. Your neighbor's anything. Right? Thou shalt not covet your neighbor's anything. Well, I don't covet my neighbor's. I'm going to go buy one at the store, you know. <laughs> here's a funny one. We talked about sexual ethics, for example. That's one of the big ones for evangelicalism. In fact, my friend uh, up north, a charismatic pastor named Brother Dan, um, Dan, Dan Little, thank you. He's a little guy. Uh, Dan, he's not really. He's the one that always prays, Lord, help us. Lord, help us. He found in one of the writings of the early Romans describing the activities of the Christians. You ready for this? Here's how they perceive the Christians. They share everything except their beds. They share everything except their beds. It was a clear mark of true faith, true confession, that they embraced proper sexual ethics. So you read this and it says, Thou shalt not covet... Now, remember, I mentioned it's like the idea of resisting temptation is gone in our culture. But that's what that command is talking about. You see it. You like it. Don't touch it. You choose to control what's going on here. If you can control what's going on here, you'll control what's coming out here, and you'll control everything else. Everybody with me? Does that make sense? And you say, well... 
that says don't covet your neighbor's wife. So I, I, you know, I don't mess with anybody that's married. That's nice. The, however, that man or woman probably is going to be someone's wife or husband somewhere along the line. This is why the law of love always wins. If I really love my brothers and sisters or people around me, I seek their best and their highest good. I want to bless them into their future. I don't take advantage for my own satisfaction. So, first, thou shalt not covet. What's next? You guys cheating? Yeah, good, good for you. Okay, you're allowed. It's open book. I don't have to lock the doors today. What's that? Yeah. Do not bear falsehood. Don't lie. Christians should be known for telling the truth. This is how much it costs. That's what it is. Did you take it? Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Once in a while, we stumble, right? That's why we have grace. Thank God. But that doesn't keep us from wanting to live up to it. So first, no coveting. Second, no lying. Third, no stealing. You see how they're getting progressively worse as far as cultural impact what's in my heart that doesn't affect anybody as long as i keep it to myself when i start lying i start to have an impact on other people when i start stealing i'm definitely having an impact on people what's next no 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 sinning outside of the bounds of marriage that's what god had in mind i'm just telling you next yeah that's pretty big that has an impact on people what's above that how did it get up so high? It, yeah, there's a learning curve. It has an impact on culture as a whole. I don't have time to go into it or we'll never get through this morning. So, that no, that's honor your father and your mother. What's next? The only one not specifically repeated in the New Testament as a mandatory honoring the Sabbath, but the principle is still there. The principle is there. Above that, going up the ladder, we got past Sabbath. What's the third command? Do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. What's above that? No idols. Don't make an idol. Why? Why don't make an idol? Well, first of all, there's, you shouldn't have an idol in your heart. We know all that. But you don't make an idol because you're going to get it all wrong. You're trying to make God in a visual way. You're not going to get it right. You're never going to get it right. We make God over in our own image. That's the problem. So don't do that. You're just getting yourself off track. And then the first one, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. Why? Because he's selfish. Because there are no other gods. Hello? In those days, there thought there were many gods, and that's why the exhortation about making idols and all of that, but you shall have no other gods. Why? Because this is reality. There's a theologian named Alistair McGrath. I can't wait when I have some bored downtime to read a three-volume book called Reality. Dealing, I can't wait to get into it, because I know he's going to be saying what I'm telling you now so the laws that God gave are designed to work with the way we're wired, not against us. We think, oh, it's bondage, man, I can't do anything I want. 
The things you want are going to hurt you. God built these things into our DNA. It's reality. That's why he says, have no other gods before me, not because he has to worry about competition. Though they didn't know that, because that's reality. There's one true God. One true God. And so that was the whole point of that little thing, working up the social ladder, if you will. They're based in reality. My affirmation of faith and my affirmation of ethics are a package deal. Some of you know the great Christian writer, George MacDonald. He made this statement. To hold a doctrine or an opinion with an intellect alone is not to believe it. A man's real belief and woman's real belief is that which he lives by. I don't know where I was wandering, um, but somewhere I came across this interesting uh, quote from a guy that I think he's a vineyard preacher from what I could figure out, Adam Russell. And he said this, there are untold thousands of Christians who can take the God test. In other words, you could pass the test I just gave you. Both the affirmation of faith and your ethics. Yep, that, that, that. I believe all that. And yet all they get all the answers right, but who remain spiritually unformed and unchanged. Is that possible? Is it, is it possible to be born again and never be changed? We're going to move on. Martin Luther, I'm going to remind you, I said last week, I should have put this on the screen, but here it is, the great reformer. We are saved by faith alone. Everybody said amen. amen. But not by faith which is alone. It's a package deal. Not by faith which is alone. That's dead, empty, non-real faith. That's his point. Genuine faith brings some level of change. Has to. I don't know how much. I can't be the judge of it always. Sometimes I can, but sometimes you can't. There's got to be something that's working God's angles into your life. To put it another way, to put it in a more biblical way, maybe we'll be happier with this. James said this, you believe there's one God? That's really great. Even the demons believe that. And shudder. <laughs> so my final appeal one more time, true faith is affirmed. We confess it. And true faith, as it's a package, I embrace the ethics that God has for his disciples to follow. Right? You believe that God is one. Brethren, we stand with thousands of years, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of wrestling through the essentials. We stand with those years of Judeo-Christian tradition, history, biblical doctrine. We're part of that. Continuing on, right, till we get to be with Jesus. And today, we're going to celebrate this table in a minute to honor him and stand with all the saints who, from before us, rest from their labors. We're in the shoot now. We're professing and confessing our belief in Jesus. When we partake of this table, we're making a public profession that we believe Jesus died for us and that we have received what he's given to us. We're part of that continual, continual work of the Spirit. God has given us confession. God has given us doctrine to continually pull us back to center. It doesn't mean we never struggle. It doesn't mean we never have doubts. I've been in ministry 40-some-odd, 44 years, something like that. I can't remember. I don't do math very well, but 
I want, sometimes I get up and go, is, that, is it all really? Anybody ever? Is that, is that real? Yeah. But God's word brings me back on center. I need to see him as he really is. So why don't we pray? We're going to gather around the table. Our time now is to confess him as Lord and Savior, to thank him and to praise him. And uh, one of our deacons, uh, Brother Brian, is going to come and lead this segment. Uh, Got good guys on the team. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for the gathering of your people in freedom. Holy Spirit, work with us, build us up, keep affirming to us what we know to be true. Sometimes we doubt, sometimes we struggle, we definitely get tempted. We need your grace to carry us along. Would you carry us along, please? We pray in the great name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen and amen. Yes. Thank you. Uh, may we pray. Lord, today, be, excuse me. I'm a little nervous. This is my first time. Lord, be with us today for communion. Uh, just open our hearts and open our spirits. And Lord, just have this service be pleasing to you. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, from 1 Corinthians 23 to 28. I receive from the Lord, I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this. Do this. Whenever you drink it, in remembrance of me. For whenever you drink... Whenever you eat the bread and drink of the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat, excuse me, before they eat the bread and drink of the cup. After Pastor John's message today, a few points come to mind. Looking back at 2,000 years of tradition, following the Lord's instruction, self-examination, looking inward, are we right with the Lord? The fellowship of communion, the one-on-one fellowship we have with the Lord to make things right between us and the Lord, are we right with each other? To ask for forgiveness of our sins and looking forward to Jesus coming again and to eternal life. So with that, I ask, are you involved with the Lord or are you committed? I have a short story about the difference. Some of you might have heard this, but the story goes this way. There was a famous NASCAR crew chief who had a young man come to him who wanted a job. And he asked the young man, he said, well, will you be involved or will you be committed? And the young man asked him, well, what's the difference? The crew chief said, well, I had bacon and eggs for breakfast this morning. The chicken was involved, but the pig was committed. (laughs) 
So again, I ask you, are you committed to Christ or are you just involved? Now with that, we're going to take a moment of time for personal reflection. I'm going to have the servers come forward. We're going to do things today. We're going to distribute the bread. I'd like everyone to hold it until we all have it and we'll partake together. Servers. said, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me.
servers come forward for the wine. said this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood do this in remembrance of me would everyone please rise that can to our Lord dear Lord thank you thank you for your sacrifice you've given us the most precious gift we can have in Jesus name I pray amen, amen. You guys can have-
have a seat. Um, ushers, you can come on down. As they come down, uh, Tim's going to pray for our offering, and then he's got some announcements for us. I do. As the ushers are coming forward, let's pray. Father, we thank you again for the opportunity to be here. Lord, uh, you have given so much. The price you paid is, again, something that I I can never begin to wrap my head around and understand why you would want someone like me. Uh, But uh, here we are, and uh, that is an amazing thought. So, Father, as we take up the offering and we move into the second, uh, the final leg of our service this morning, Lord, we pray that you would just uh, take this offering to use for your kingdom. Lord, that we would just continue to be united together for the kingdom's cause. Lord, I pray that all of our hearts and minds would be united to look towards the kingdom, to see you, and to understand. Uh, you've called us to something so much greater than what the world offers. There is just nothing that satisfies quite like you. So, Father, be with us this morning, and thank you for, uh, again, the gift that you have, the, the blood that you shed for us, your body, which was broken. Lord, that you would be able to uh, uh, just be with us, and we appreciate that. So, Father, we ask these things in your name. Amen. All right, a few announcements this morning. Budget request forms are in the foyer in the back. Those are due back by Sunday, March 17th. That's three Sundays from now. We're two Sundays away from daylight savings. So mark that down, March 10th. I know, it's right around the corner. I know, everybody's going to be an hour late. But at least you can blame it on something. Uh, today, we're having a fellowship in the back. You are all welcome to come hang out. Uh, there's some muffins and cookies and cakes and coffee and water, some cafe tables set up. Uh, so even if this is your first time joining us this morning, if you're a visitor, uh, don't feel awkward. Um, I didn't bring anything either, so there is plenty to go around and um, you know, have some fun, fellowship, get a chance to meet the pastors on staff and uh, some of the folks that you, you see around here week in, week out. Uh, check the back. There is the Christmas card box. There are still a lot of Christmas cards in the box. Um, if uh, you have Christmas cards in the box, please get them. Uh, my guess is the Christmas card box will be going away soon. I'm not sure. Yes, Jody says yes. It's going. So get your Christmas cards. Put the hoppers up on your fridge. Pray for them. Uh, you got bulletins. There's more announcements in the bulletins. Check them out. Also, quick plug, Friday night, if uh, you have a student 6th to 12th grade, we're having a trap night, which is uh, we're going to turn the entire church and parts of the school building into an escape room. So come on out if you have students in that age. If you're an adult and you're like, hey, that sounds something I'd like to be involved in, I got places you can hang out and watch kids and participate. It's going to be a lot of fun. If you have questions, come find me, and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll answer them for you. I'm going to pray for the refreshments, and then uh, when I close in prayer, you guys can uh, do your thing, eat, and you'll be dismissed. Father, again, we thank you for the blessing of your son. Thank you as uh, we have an opportunity to fellowship and enjoy your goodness. Uh, Lord, I just pray that you be with this time. Uh, thank you for the food, the provision of it, those who... Uh, diligently put this together that we can have an opportunity to visit and talk and uh, get to know each other a little bit more than just uh, passing uh, in and out through service. So be with us. Thank you again for everything that you've blessed us with. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. All right, folks, have a great day.